Oh, hey, I got a, I got a cold open for this one. Oh, nice. Uh, do you want right. to go for it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, three, two, one. We'll just start mid conversation, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the cold open was: we should start without revealing anything uh, by guessing uh, what we think everyone's favorite story was of the Russian stories. Oh, okay, that's good. I like that. So just to run them down, just to refresh our memories, we have "In the Cart" by Chekhov, "The Singers" by Turgenev. The Darling by Chekhov, Master and Man by Tolstoy, The Nose by Gogol, Gooseberries by Chekhov, and Aloysia the Pot by Tolstoy. And we're guessing which one everyone's favorite was. Mm-hmm. Huh. I've had a hard time nailing down Nico, so I don't know, because I don't think Nico liked any of them. Let's start with Dave. <laughs> All right. I think Dave's is either The Master and the Man or Gooseberries. I was thinking Gooseberries, too. In the car is a good. All right, candidate. so it sounds like sounds like I was going to say in the cart or gooseberries. So let's let's go gooseberries. Dave, you can reveal it at the end of the episode. Oh great! All right, Aaron. Oh yeah, let's do Aaron. Aloysia the pot. Just because or the singer. Just because you think I'm an idiot who deserves uh, to die. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just let's think you identify. <laughs> I was thinking singers or in All the right. I'm going to go singers too. All right, so singers. Okay. All right, who's left? Nico. Or do me. Nico's the hard one. Brick. Brick. I'm going to say the nose. I think that's... I'm going to say the nose as well. That feels... Pretty easy. Yeah, it feels like in the... It feels... I'm the most confident about that. Yeah, I I agree with that. Dave. Yeah. All right, Nico. Nico is tough. By which I mean he's very strong, but also hard to figure (laughs) out. Just like crank. Yeah, just like crank. It's definitely not the darling. It's not the nose. And it's well, actually, it might be the nose. I was thinking maybe. Yeah. It's not in the cart. We know that. <laughs> it's probably not always the pot. I think in the nose. I think the nose too. Or the singers, potentially. But I would say the nose. Yeah. I, 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 I'm flummoxed on this one. I think if Gooseberries had a plot, that would be it, but it doesn't. So. <laughs> uh,. <laughs> <laughs> almost, I guess I'll, I'll go with, almost none of them I'll go with the nose too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best. All right, great. Okay. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Well, wait, oh. that's not for the. Sorry, go I ahead. I thought that go was ahead. the open. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, but now here comes the theme song. Okay. I don't, I don't know. It's all the as, uh, wizardry of editing. <laughs> it seems amazing. <laughs> Just make it more work for yourself. I'm not going to edit that, though. <laughs> the Yak Babies. Sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Babies, only podcast on the internet sponsored by The Bone Zone, where elite skeletons meet. My name's Aaron. I'm here with our personal pals, Brick. Hello. We have Dave. Hey, boys. That's my dog. Awesome. And then wow, it's perfect. <laughs> we have Dave's dog. <laughs> Say hi. And then calling, once again, from Old Ireland, we have the reverted to form Old Irish Nico. Rapidly re-aged. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Went through, it, went through a time tunnel on the way back to Ireland and, and became, once again, old and Irish. Yeah. It's like the opposite of taking a swim in a pond in the rain. <laughs> yeah. It's the, whatever the yeah. spiritual... Potatoes are opposite. terrible for your complexion. 
This episode has been a long time in the works. I think was Dave the first one to start reading this, or was it you. me? I, I got it. Dave. But you oh, it read me. it. You started reading it first. Okay, yeah. So I picked up George Saunders's uh, "Swim in a Pond in the Rain" a couple months ago, and really enjoyed reading it and then dave had it as well and i encouraged him to read it quickly because i wanted to talk about the podcast for sure and then got brick and nico on board as well because it seemed like i mean it's right up the podcast alley this is a book about reading and writing uh so we probably should Mm -hmm. read and write about it and it's by george saunders who comprises one-fifth of our episodes (laughs) yeah right yeah this notably one of our most celebrated episodes the story of dave interviewing george saunders and talking about how big the texas toast was (laughs) <laughs> Definitely the funniest thing we've ever done. And the best. What was the line, Dave? Look at the size of that toast. <laughs> Immortalized in merch form now as well uh, on our Bitly shop. If you want to go get a shirt or mug that says look at the size of that toast. Imagine uttering those words to <laughs> this person who wrote this book. <laughs> yeah. So I really enjoyed this book. Uh, that's why I wanted to talk about it because I read the first chapter and I was already hooked by it and i was like the, we have to talk about this because i think the the fellow yaks will enjoy talking about it for sure so i, I guess i want to push the conversation about is this a, a book about effectively teaching writing to the end maybe or towards the middle of the podcast i want to start instead with the stories uh, we sort of had our little cold open of sort of which stories you enjoyed the most or which ones we think we enjoyed the most uh, i want to hear your thoughts on those seven russian short stories i personally haven't read too much of any of these authors i've read a few Chekhov stories here and there i've read a little bit of tolstoy here and there i never read Gogol before and i'm really excited to read more because i really enjoyed reading the nose so yeah i want to hear what your thoughts on just the stories in the first place before we can get to sort of saunders approach to them and, and sort of how he writes about reading them can i just ask a clarifying question real yeah. quick do is this what whether we like them as stories or whether we like them as stories to teach right let's start from? with as stories first and then go into like how they function as okay. sort of like a, a educational content or whatever okay the answer for me is no to both <laughs> <laughs> no not really uh you- i mean i liked I don't want to give away my answer to which my favorite story was, but I liked uh, a few of these moments. And I think the way that Saunders writes about them made me like consistently like them more, mm-hmm. but I do think they're terrible stories for teaching writing. And so do you have, do you, do you have like a experience with the Russian 19th century Russian literature before that? Is that something you ever gave much time to or not a lot? I mean, probably back in high school or in college or grad school, but not, not since. Yeah. What is? I guess we should discuss the premise of the book before we even get into that. Like, so this is Saunders sort of basically doing a book version of his class on Russian 19th century Russian literature or Russian short stories um, that he teaches at Stanford, I think he says. Um, Syracuse. 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 Sorry, and it's sort of translated into book form and sort of these kind of essays. So he gives you the story and then sort of walks you through the reading of it. And the first chapter is a bit different because it sort of like reads it and talks about it as he goes along and the rest are kind of presented unobstructed or, or uninterrupted and they're all they're you know the sort of major literary russian names from that period um so you get your tolstoy and you get your gogol and Chekhov and so forth okay so nico not so much what about the rest of you did you have much experience with russian lit before yeah i've read i used to really like it so i read quite a bit yeah a long time ago it's been a while hits her face the only uh, I read a book called uh, yeah. Dead Souls by Gogol. That was pretty good. Crime and Punishment was a book I really liked in yeah. high school and then again in college. I read War and Peace, but I didn't actually like it that much. It was like an experience that was good, but like the book itself is just sort of, it's almost watching like 15 mm-hmm. seasons of a TV show where it kind of like, you know, I don't even know right. if I ever finished it, but I read a lot of it. 
uh, and I've read a bunch of Chekhov because I have a bunch of his, I have a big, big tome of all of his short stories that I, some are more memorable than others. I don't remember right. any of these stories before reading this though. Dude, what about you? Yeah, not a ton. I'd read a couple of these stories, read Crime and Punishment, maybe a third or a quarter of War and Peace, and then I stopped. Mm -hmm. And I remember nothing about it. And the idea of going back to read that again is unappealing. <laughs> Even now, after your uh, education in Russian literature and Tolstoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read Crime and Punishment in high school. And then I think that might be it, actually. But it, I did want to major in Russian after reading it. I was like, this is great. I should do this. This sounds perfect. What class was that? Was that like the whole class was reading? No, it was for AP English, but it was part of the... We were, we were given a list of the AP books, and it was like, choose three to read on your own. In addition, those are reading for class, just to like try and get a broader swath of things to read. That's why I ended up reading... Fucking hell. That's why I ended up reading Steppenwolf and Point Counterpoint by oh, Albus Huxley and a couple yeah. other things. Because I was like, oh, I guess okay. I'll just read this. Why not? So yeah, I really... I liked Current Punishment a lot, and then was like looking for... When I, when I enrolled in college... I was looking at the course calendar. I was like, I'll take all the Russian classes. And I was like, I don't do well with language. So why am I doing this? I just decided yeah. to let major instead. I had a friend who tried to learn Russian in, in college and he was absolutely yeah. miserable yeah. the entire time. I mean, I'm sure it's interesting, <laughs> but it seems like, especially for like learning languages for like more like practical purposes, like one of the most use, useless right. choices in the United States is to choose Russian. Yeah. Like, yeah, unless you're going to be like a, a CIA <laughs> yeah. agent. That's the only, <laughs> the only time you would yeah. use it. Are you going to translate texts for a living? Whatever. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's let's then dig into the lessons of it all. The kind of the, the talking about learning to read and then learning to write through these texts. So we discussed before, and we all kind of agreed. I think that this is a book that is very good at teaching how to read stories. Right. Um, that there's maybe sort of less controversy on that statement. Is that true? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the thing that Saunders does in that first section where he has you read in the cart one page at a time and then sort of stops and asks you to think about what you're noticing and what's going on in the story is something I've never done before with anything that I've read, uh, read, not in class and not on my own. And it was, that's the reason why I was so hooked because of that exercise. The first thing I was like, this is amazing. This is all of a sudden opening up a story in a way I'd never thought of before. And I was, I was noticing new things and I was paying attention in different ways. And I felt like electric in reading a story the way I hadn't in a long time even stories that I love that I was like holy shit this is this is coming alive and I used it in my creative writing class I stole it right out from under Saunders's toast and used it in my own class uh <laughs> <laughs> for what story what was it it was in the cart obviously <laughs> I think it was the swimmer that I used it for no sorry it was a Bradbury story it was one of the chapters from Martian Chronicles where I had them just like stop and think about what's going on it kind of like an informal version of it and less rigorous maybe but still sort of like the same approach because I think it's so instructive what do you make of the rest of the chapters so it kind of goes it's, it's a bit more sort of structured just like story and commentary after that did you find the rest of them as engaging as the sort of the first discussion do they sort of fall apart for you at some points what are your thoughts on the rest of the chapters i like the approach of the first one but this book would have been a slog if he had done that the whole way so yeah. he was he was wise not to do that yeah. i thought i thought the book got better as it went and i'd say maybe the first half of the book you know i was like yeah this is this is the best book i've ever read on how mm. to read but it doesn't really talk about writing and by the end while i think it's true it might be the best book about how to read i've ever read i think it might also be the best book on how mm. to write that, that i've ever read mm. what makes you say that because i think the ability to actually teach writing stops pretty mm. early i don't think you can you can really teach it because it is so personal it is I, the thing i found myself thinking about the most when reading this book was our discussion 
which is still not the right word, but the the mysticism of writing mm. episode we had a while back. And I think he dances around. I think I did a poor job on that episode of trying to describe my thoughts. And I think he dances around a similar notion, right? But he did a better job, I think, of including what you guys are trying to tell me that like how much of it is just hard work and craft, mm. right? And I think he combines those things pretty well here. I think there's enough like kind of advice and, and sort of direct how to to do the basics. But the truth is, you can't just there's no pattern to be a writer because that makes for bad writing. And in order to be a good writer, you need to sort of very thoughtfully and carefully and skillfully break the rules without breaking the story, right? At one point, he says there's only two things that really are the most important, and it is being able to just revise constantly mm -hmm. and then being able to effectively work causality mm -hmm. into your story and i think that's i mean that's that's kind of it right like the rest you know he ends where like the only piece of writing advice you need is just to go and write what you want to write right. right because that's that's true but also you need to do the other things you need to do the work you need to be able to hone that eye to see when something's done and when it's not done when the pieces come together and when they're mm -hmm. not and the only way you can actually do you can write a million versions of the same story but if you don't know how to read you're not going to be able to do that because in order to be a good writer you need to be good at reading your writing yeah and i think that's the lesson that resonated with me most i think it was from the singer's chapter was when he's talking about being able to put yourself in your reader's shoes and to like read your text as if you were the reader and thinking well what am i getting from this and what am i what is the experience like and how hard that is to do and that the was that the energy meter section too i think so yeah yeah yeah, that's that seems to me like different kind of approaches to the same idea, which is that you want to hone your sense of what's good and what's not so that you mm -hmm. can go back yep. and revise things that you that you think are bad until you think they're good, basically. And if you can do that with your entire story, then you'll have a good story or you'll have at least a story that you think is good, which is the point. Right. And to be skeptical of... Or to be sort of like, not skeptical, just sort of like critical of the things that you, I mean, people have said this, like the Kill Your Darlings thing is not new, but like looking at your own work and being like, well, do I like this? And if so, why do I like it? Like, what is it really adding? And sort of being able to answer those questions in terms of the story you're telling and the characters you're working with and not in terms of, well, I like my own, I like the sound of my own voice. And so that's why I like this, which is, I think for me, it's hard certainly to get out yeah, of it. So it's kind of like, because it, is such a good guide on how to become a reader. That's the reason that it's such a good guide on how to be a writer, right? Because hmm. you have to know how to read okay. your own work. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a difference between saying that and providing any actual constructive tools to do that. And I don't think he does much of the second. I think he does a little bit in that section that Brick was talking about with the, I think it's in the master and man section when he's talking about causality and he kind of breaks down Tolstoy's craft more than more than anything and I found a lot of his other stuff like when he talks about how his own process is to write until he finds a section that's undeniable and then hmm. and then he you know goes on to make another undeniable section and then he kind of switches them around until they make something that sounds good and then fills in the gaps I thought that was poetic and it's interesting that that's his process I I think that's incredibly unhelpful for a, another writer to, to to do or try or even know about that that mm. kind of a process it, it seems to me like reading tarot cards and just like making a story out of uh, out of thing and then kind of mixing the different pieces until it makes something different and makes a story 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to have a book on writing that lays out the tools to be a good writer. I, I don't think that's it because I think what what you what such a book needs to do is lay out the conversation to get people thinking more critically about themselves and the things. I don't think even that. So that one they were talking about with the causality, the afterward on that chapter, it was like, by the way, here's mm-hmm. a thing in this story that really kind of breaks it, right? But we're going to go ahead and ignore that because this is how we're going to read the story. And, and you know, it doesn't need to ruin mm-hmm. the story because of all these other things, right? And I think that's, that's a lot of it. I think a lot of these stories I wouldn't have liked maybe as much without his input. And that's, you know, that's where I think the learning comes in, right? Is the encouraging of, of being critical, right? He says in a similar chapter, like, everything's invented. We read in a continual state of light skepticism. Uh, and every sentence is a referendum on the truth, right? Where it's like, you can't, writing is so inherently personal that you can't write something perfect, right? Because it's different to you than the reader to whatever else. So you need to hone things to a point where it is capturing as close as possible what you're feeling and then providing it to someone else, right? But there's no, there's no path to do that. There's right. no way besides just taking it apart, taking it apart, doing it again and waiting until it's right and then and then putting it out there and see what happens. But that but that that process of taking it apart can be can can be kind of quantified in a in a way that's more than just saying like, well you'll know it when you see it. I, I think it's unhelpful to to just let it be so mystical and so kind of you know, we're we're just going to let the you know, let the story come through you. I, I, I think you can break down these stories in a way that you can identify what you think makes them good. And then I think you can also learn from somebody who is breaking down their stories in a way that you don't agree with. Like, so I think that, that like teaching writing and writing books are kind of unique in that even if they're, even if you don't agree with them and you don't find them helpful, it's still helpful because in your disagreement, you can find more clearly right. what you think about writing. And so I, I, I think that it's, t- it's tough when a lot of this is just kind of like, you know, like maybe Tolstoy meant that maybe you didn't, you know, maybe, maybe, Hey, maybe you'll fuck up and your fuck up will be good. That's, that's the, what, not master and man, but the other Tolstoy one. Aloysia. the pot. Yeah. And he's, says like you know the intended the effect maybe wasn't intended but it's still right. good that kind of thing it's it's a little too mystical for yeah me. so you had mentioned in our earlier discussion which will come out later in the podcast about the i think you said something like you could learn more about writing craft from just reading detective novels and sort of learning how to plot is sort of structured as opposed to what saunders is doing here we're sort of more discussing the like the mentality i guess of a writer and attention to you know i guess character or sort of feeling more than plot tell us more about about that so yeah so in the last so in the lat or the pre the next episode <laughs> yeah. about about this book the the hot takes episode aaron said at one point that i was just <laughs> shitting on literary books which was fair but what i meant to do was shit on literary books as a model hmm. for learning to write and it, especially as an mfa story like an mfa class hmm. model because i think like so saunders describes in the cart at one point as as a variant of a variant of the story that he's trying to teach, which is a story in which something incredibly important happens. And, the, and then there's the variant where something incredibly important almost happens. And then there's the variant of that variant where 
nothing important happens. It's like, okay. And I just think that genre work is more like, it's, it's, things are more clear. Like, so when you talk about causality, it is easier to trace causality in a, in a, in a genre, in like a mystery novel where you can tell like, here, here are the beats of this plot. Here's, here's, you know, where X happens. Here's the character's motivation. Here's where they don't, here's where they, they conflict with another character. I think that stuff is easier to see in that kind of, in that kind of book. Whereas in a literary book, I mean, honestly, I think literary writing is a more advanced way of writing. I think it's harder. And I think a lot of people don't do it well because they don't learn those fundamentals of, of craft. Yeah. So I thought about that and I was wondering if, I mean, I think that you're making a good point about the, that plot isn't the focus here, certainly. And I wonder if it's also like a genre, this will come up in the discussion in a later episode about the article about Amazon and the way it impacts books, whatever. Um, if we think of literary fiction as a genre, then like one thing that literary fiction, one of the conventions of literary fiction, especially short fiction too, is it's the plots are much more minimal, right? Like a short story often has less plot than a novel does just by like dint of its link and so a story like mm-hmm. pet milk that dave and i really love plot nothing much happens really people have dinner and go on a train ride and fuck on a train and also a guy remembers some stuff but it hits because there's so much going on in terms of the writing and the character and the and the feeling of it so yeah i think you're totally right this is not a good way to, to learn plot but it might be an effective way to think more about well what are you trying to accomplish in the short space right you only have these couple pages to do like what do you want to say and is it worth saying in the first place and you know, so kind of the, he mentioned several times, like every gesture in a short story is intentional, right? So you got to make sure what you're doing here matters. And if it doesn't add to the story, get it out of there because it's not going to be helpful. That happened to be very helpful, but it's mm-hmm. definitely not plot. It's more like it's about me than less about the story, I guess, and like my mindset as a writer sitting down to work on something. Yeah, and I think you're you're right. Both would be valuable. Like I, I definitely need to learn more plot, and that's why. I, I've never succeeded at writing a novel or even really succeeded at trying to write a novel because I get itchy when I have to write more than a couple scenes of action because I'm like, well, I don't know. The characters should just go away. Short stories are only 10 pages yeah. or whatever. What do people do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like to be like asked to be control of a sustained uh, narrative something like that is very difficult. That's why I like short fiction because I don't have to. But I also but I get that it's like a, it's like a I don't want to say deficiency, but it's definitely a thing. It's like a thing that... that I react to and so probably why I gravitate towards what Saunders is saying here more because it speaks more to what I would want to do but yeah I think you're totally right about the the need for plot I think there's also that's a key distinction that you make between the story and a novel and a story just can can be almost anything just because it's so short and so the the rules the same rules don't really apply I don't think because they're so much more easily broken in a story that's 15 pages versus a novel that has to hold your interest for 300 pages. Like you, you just need more, yeah. more drama or whatever, whatever you want to call it, more story in a novel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say that that's fair, but also to be, to be fair to the book, like this is explicitly about writing short stories. Yes. And also it's for advanced writers. Like he mentions in the first chapter that this is for like students who already know the basic craft stuff. He's like expecting them to be sort of at a higher level. It's not like an intro, like creative writing 101 kind of thing. But even then, it's not that's not to say that anyone who's got to that level is like a master of plot either. But that clearly he's sort of has different intentions. Would you want to take the class? Totally. Yep. Yeah. I would take Saunders teaching fucking geology. Anyway. I mean, it sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably pretty good at that too, considering he's 
Yeah, it's right. <laughs> that was his field. Yeah, I mean, it feels like outside of the putting the question of is this like good education aside, I just really like Saunders' voice. Uh, I find mm. him a really engaging writer. Yep. I read a review from the New York Times that was like sort of critical of the book and saying that he's a bit too Pollyannish and a bit too sort of like kind of like what Brooke was saying, a bit too on the mystical side of things. But I didn't mind that in this book at all. I find it to be really charming. And I really like his habit of coming up with examples of <laughs> fake short stories yep. and then using them as the material. I really, really enjoy that. Cause every time I was like, damn, that's good. That could be a story. And it's like, yeah, they're funny. Yeah. They're funny, but they're also like, I don't know. They, they kind of work in their yeah, own little quirky way. Across, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, that even that, that actually alone was inspiring in terms of, Oh yeah. Just like think about it for a second and see what happens. Like following an idea down that hole and, and sort of being open to what it might lead to is I think really, really fun. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would, I would take the class in a heartbeat. Absolutely. I don't know about yeah. you guys, but you know, the entire time that I've read through this, it made me want to write. And I feel like any book about writing, any good book about writing is going to do that. And a shitty book about writing isn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. So it got me, it got me jazzed up to write. At the time I was working on a novel and this made me think about some stories I'd been working on previously instead. So I kind of traded nice. those. For the, yeah. I, so it's definitely <laughs> you know, geared more towards stories, obviously. And, yeah. And it got me thinking about stories, but it got me like popped up to write. And that's, that's, that was my main, I guess, takeaway from it. It actually got me wanting to write criticism. Mm. Oh, interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Or at least thinking about it. I'm not going to sit down and write any criticism I'm too busy, but it got me thinking about it. Yeah. Your treatise on Ovid. <laughs> it maybe Ovid. <laughs> Those waters are pretty deep. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I agree. Maybe want to write. Maybe excited to write too, but also maybe very critical of my own past writing. Oh yeah, and I like really got hardcore into like, yeah, God, I would love to sit down and work on that story finally, and then also being like, but all the times I've done it in the past, it's always sucked. <laughs> like it's just like, mm. God, I'm so bad at this. Yeah, and just all the things he talks about. I, I just I was gonna say I like that one part where he says that the the biggest predictor of one of his students' success is how willing they are to revise and like how much yep. work they'll put in, basically. Mm. That was yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, totally. And interesting to to me since I teach like you know college writing uh, as my profession, how much that applies to my students who aren't doing creative work. They're doing just like expository, like you yeah. know, writing essays and reviews and shit. But it's the same same thing applies. Students who are really willing to get in there and, and change their drafts and are open to the idea of radical revision do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and students who are sort of stuck in well, this is the text I wrote on the first draft. I just got to polish it. You know, don't do quite as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that whole finding that voice thing, which gets back to the mysticism, which is, it's not, it's not some external, external art force flowing through the cosmos, right? It is taking the time to hone your own sensibility, right? He calls it a couple different things in here. He calls it uh, intuitive preference at one point. Then he, he goes and he borrows all that from, from Milan Kundera about supra personal wisdom, but it, it's all dancing around this same idea that that sim- similar. I think it was Kundera's quote, and not not his own. He said something about like if you're smarter than your book, your book's no good. Mm-hmm. Something something to that extent. Which is not to say there's some supernatural force that 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 is being harnessed. But what it is saying is that like in order to find your own voice, you have to you have to create your own voice, and you do that through repetition and through reading and through dismantling and rebuilding. And no one can give you that. All they can give you is right. 
help, right? You know, you can't, I can't show you how to better understand Aaron, right? Not in a one-to-one, here's the way to do it kind of way, but I can show you what works for me and then we can do things together and then maybe you'll learn from that. And I think, I mean, that's why, that's why writing is taught in workshops, right? Because it's this collaborative sort of iterative process that is, is fundamentally personal, but can't just exist within yourself because you, you, then you're lacking everything else, right? You need a teacher, you need collaborators in order to be, I think, a good writer. There's very few writers that just yeah. spring out of nothing. And right? you did the, I mean, the last point he makes is you need the audience, you need the connection, you need the idea of like writing as a social act from one person to another or to many others. If you can't keep your audience in mind as you're writing, that's going to be a challenge because the audience is everything. The audience is the reason it exists in the first place. But you also have control over your audience, right? So it's it's because if you're writing a book for a specific audience, like a fiction book for a specific audience, it's probably not going to be that good because what you want to do is write for yourself because you are you're not solely your ideal audience, but you're a part of it, right? So you you want to write a book for your audience, but you also want to write a book for the kind of audience you want to write a book for, right? Yeah, right. Otherwise, you know, otherwise you're you're kind of cashing in. I think I think that's that might be kind of pointing a finger to what I find so dissatisfying about a lot of genre stuff I mm. read. It's like they're not read, they're not written for me. They're not these these are written, they're very formulaic, they fit a pattern, they're written for a very specific audience who wants a very specific thing. Right. And this is going to come back up in that Amazon thing, yeah. too, because it's that's that's like, you know, that's the further iteration of that of that kind of process. But. Yeah. Like audience fragmenting and, and sort of like micro, uh, uh, you know, targeting of, of certain like niches. Whatever. Genres. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's when you're going to tell us all about your love of adult baby diaper. Yeah, books. finally. <laughs> it's been building up for several years. Literally, I'm going to change this thing. Let's reveal our stories. We tease the beginning Wait, of the I... episode. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I have, I have a question first. Um, I think we didn't, I, I don't think you guys saw the questions I asked about this, but I think the most important, the most important one was, I think it was basically like what, how, how do you define story or drama at its most basic level? What, what is that for you? That's an interesting question. Do you guys, do you guys have an answer to that? Uh, Put you on the spot. I do. Yeah, for me, it's emotion. I think a book that is like really heavy on plot is easier for me to remember. A book, and then regardless of whether it has plot or not, a book that really pulls off the emotional impact and the emotional payoff, like some of these stories do, are the books that stick with me. Even if I don't remember the plots and stuff, there's moments. Like I think, uh, was it The Cart? Which one's the one where it ends with the yeah, girl in the car. Uh, where like for a split second she's yeah. happy and then she in realizes the she's going to be fucking sad again. That that That's going to stick with me for a long time mm-hmm. and I'm going to forget that story. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I would say, I mean, I would tell my students, I think, when, when I teach creative writing, that drama is the tension between what the characters want and what's happening to them, right? Like the sort of drama comes from your character wants something and the world you know, is refusing to give it to them or makes it difficult for them in some way. And they have to like reconcile that conflict, conflict. Yeah. 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 Like basic conflict. But I mm-hmm. guess for personally, what I look, what I sort what to me drama sort of feels like, or what I, what I like about it, I guess is, I don't want to say disappointment, but kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I, so Saunders mentions this thing about like the story, the story's not a story until it becomes a story. Right. And that you can sort of read, I think about, this is about in the car. 
you read it and at a certain point it clicks and it's like the very last bit of that story is like when it all of a sudden shifts and it sort of reveals itself to be what it is and that, that spoke to me because i feel the same way uh, about especially about short fiction is that there's like that one moment that unlocks the whole rest of the thing and if you can get to that bit then you have something that's worth working on and, and continuing to, to hone and i feel when i'm reading too when i'm reading i'm looking for that sort of thing that's going to unlock this story and sometimes it comes you know in the middle maybe rarely in the beginning but often in the end and it also often comes from disappointment when it's like when all of a sudden this, like the, the perfection or the the thing that's being driven at fades away or sort of becomes less perfect or, or whatever it is to me that's when it like that's when you get the good stuff but i'm also you know depressed well yeah i mean look at <laughs> Look at a story, Aaron, like yours, which is really just a married couple carving pumpkins on Halloween. And it's like a two page story. But for the rest mm -hmm. of your life, you'll remember the line, you know, to own only a little talent is an awful plaguing thing or something to that effect. And that's just that kind yeah. of sticks. And it's it's stuck with me now, too, through you introducing me to that story. And yeah, that's an example, like a moment that should be nice, like the sort of couple doing something sort of domestic and cute and loving together, but it's ruined in some way by the narrator's inability to get out of his own head about who he thinks he is and who his wife is and, and why that matters to him. And it's, it's sort of it's a crack in that little glass and it hurts, but it hurts. And it, the it hurts because it hurts inside me, and so recognizing it, I'm like, yeah, yeah I, that's that's me, that's life, that's the hurt. Yeah, I think that's that's what I kind of live for too. You mm. know, similar to to walk away from a story, a piece of writing with that kind of feeling, which is which is like devastating, but something that makes me want to go right back into it and experience that again. Yeah, it's that little like weird mirror effect. Nico, about you, answer your own question. I I would say it's the essence of a story for me is characters uh, acting mm. and their their actions revealing their character and the character informing the action right and then acting against other characters and that kind of like what you said i think that the conflict is is definitely core part of it yeah and the movement it sounds like too like i think that it sounds like for nico movement whether that's physical or just like idea movement is really important which makes sense not even necessarily movement just agency like mm. one of the things that kept driving me crazy with the saunders stories that he picked was that a lot of the things that happened to people were not their own doing they were they just happened to them and so it, it's it's less interesting to me you know it's like if you write a story about i was driving down the highway and a truck tire crashed into my car and killed my wife like that's terrible but it's not it's not drama it's tragic. Yeah, it's like, it's like you're. Tragic, I remember but, we used to talk know. about how much you dislike books where you learn at some point that the protagonist's motivations come from some sort of place of mental illness rather than. Yeah. Well, I think if it's if it can be offloaded on if it's not a choice. So if it's like if you know if you get drunk and black out and the next day you've done something, like that's terrible. But it's not. It's not. It doesn't make a good story in my opinion because it's because it's you you did you don't have that moment of choice yeah the well, choice would be what you do after right yeah i say i don't I, I think it depends on if the story is structured around the thing is the thing or yeah. the thing is the is the setting right where like sometimes the thing that ha especially in these stories the thing that happens is not the story yeah the characters reacting to it and sort of their internal response to those things yeah that's a problem i think was and it, but i mean that's still that's still you know that's still the action nico's talking about it's just the action is, is sort of maybe right. separate from the from the beats 
it's it's the di- it's the difference to me b- between having the thing that happens to them be the climax of the story or having it be the opening of the story and they're cuz if if it's still focused on their on their reaction to it then then I'm down with that but if but if it's the climax and then it's like there's one page of like yeah. oh shit that sucked <laughs> I, don't, I can't get down with that That's a good way I think to describe a lot of like student fiction sure. yeah. um is it tends to be like something happened and that's like mm-hmm. well what what why and then what happened as well it's like i don't know but this thing definitely <laughs> happened my grandma died and it's like okay shit yeah, um, that, <laughs> yeah that's exactly. that mm-hmm. that's that causality piece okay let's wrap it up by revealing our story phase we hinted at, at the beginning of the episode or do we need to hint that we explicitly guessed whatever <laughs> wants, whatever <laughs> favorite stories in this collection where let's start in reverse order nico was the one to go last we said that was the hardest one to guess i think we came down with the nose right Nico, please reveal your favorite story. I think it was Mastered Man. That was my second guess. That Damn was it. That's my second the, guess, uh, too. I, I liked his discussion of that was, like, the most concrete. The story itself was the most... Most plot. Was the most, like, most plot. And and I think it's, to, to me, it's the most memorable compared to mm. a lot of the other ones. Why did we pick the nose? I think I was thinking nose for Nico because of... Yeah, me too. Like, absurdity would be fun. Both start with N. <laughs> yes that's <laughs> why not go to nico's house his books are all novels that begin with the letter n it's like wow you yeah. got a problem <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh okay brick uh we said yours was the nose right yeah you were correct i, I did also really like master and the man the one however so like just from a like story it was the nose but the one, the section in this book that I liked the most was actually the singers. Mm. Or maybe not the section, because I, I think, like Nico said, the master and the man section was maybe really what grabbed me the most. But the I did not like the mm-hmm. singers the first time I read it. And then I read his essay on it. And then I read it again, and I really liked yeah. it. And that, uh, more than any other story in the book, I was like, oh, I read this wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciated that section. Yeah, I had the same experience uh, where I read the story and I was like, huh, that's weird. I didn't quite get that. I wonder why he chose that. And then reading the essay, I was like, yeah. ah, that's, yeah, makes a lot more sense now, um, which is cool. That's what, that's a nice feeling. So we picked the singers for you, right, Aaron? Uh, Did we? I believe you picked Gooseberries for me. Okay. And we picked Gooseberries we picked for Gooseberries for Dave, for, Dave for sure. For for okay. both of us. Oh, okay. So which was your favorite? Well, what is Didn't it? We? I don't know. It, it's on It's on record, so we'll it hear depends, it eventually. It depends whether we're right or not. I was <laughs> thinking in the car for Aaron. We picked Gooseberries for sure yeah. for Dave. Yep. I remember that, definitely. Dave, reveal your favorite story. Well, Brick's still part of my answer for sure, because the chapter I would want to reread first is The Singers. I wanted to reread the story after the essay, but then, yeah. you know, at the time we had... It's scheduled for a few days out, so I, mm-hmm. I just wanted to keep going, and I never went back to it. But I definitely would. As far as my favorite story, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a tough call, but I think Master and Man. Hmm. Really? Tell us why. Maybe similar reasons to Nico. There's just so much uh, there. And death. And death. <laughs> and you know, I think you know the whole thing is vivid. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we're saying that mine. You guys thought mine was the singers, or I thought in the card for you. Dave said he thought it was in the card. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember there. to be honest. Dave is right. I thought it was. Or Lois right. the pot. Lois the pot because he thinks I'm a simpleton. <laughs> the answer yeah. is in the car. Dave is right. That definitely has that disappointment yeah. that I'm looking for. <laughs> it's like that, that bit of like sadness at the end. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm, mm-hmm. it's the flavor I'm, I want in all my meals. That's so, true. Yeah, that's that's the saddest one, and therefore my favorite. <laughs> Listeners, tell us your thoughts. Uh, have you read? 
right. Swim in the pond in the rain. I've heard some people talking about it on different podcasts. I think it has hit, which is cool. So we want to hear your thoughts on it. Tell us on Twitter at yakbabies and also email us at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Share your reactions, your favorite stories. We want to hear all about it. Also, we're on Patreon. Patreon.com slash yakbabies where you can get our secret bonus podcast for $1 a month. Uh, we're asking very, very little in exchange for what amounts to significant blackmail material. Uh, there's lots of stories being shared that there shouldn't be shared for sure on audio. Definitely not recorded and given to the populace. It's an insane thing we're doing. Um, there's also fun things like the candy draft or candy tournament. Rather, we did a three hour uh, full on tournament style bracket of Halloween candy. We made ourselves sick in the name of, I guess, science, uh, candy science. Certainly my favorite science. It is candy season. We also did a monster draft. <laughs> yeah, it, we're in the middle of it. We're, we're heading full bore into a huge candy holiday. We also did a monster draft, which is awesome. Third monster draft, I believe, with some results still forthcoming. There's Bro to Bros. There's, man, there's so much on our Patreon. For that $1, you can get there. And then I mentioned before our merch. Bitly.com slash YakBabies has access to all the merch that Brick has designed, t-shirts, and mugs and such recently taken down <laughs> or some some designs recently taken down from the candy episode that were really great um so sometimes you gotta get them while they still exist all that check it out and enjoy until then yak babies yakking off the yak babies would like to thank all their loyal listeners and especially their patrons both past and present including michael bonnie sebastian david roger kathleen bailey andrew and william howard taft oh.